Good morning. Here you guys had a wonderful speaker last week. Thank you for the time to be able to just rest and, and refresh uh, after a very long week last week. Uh, and I'm really happy to be back today. But I, I kind of get another break this week because some of you may not know this, but next week is Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day, the youth are going to be leading our service next week. So they will be doing all aspects of the service, including uh, ushering and leading music and uh, preaching, all of those things. And we're really excited to uh, hear from our youth about the things that they are learning, the things that they care about, the things that are going on in their world. So uh, I hope that you can make it here next week. I am looking forward to it myself. Um, how many of you like movies with a lot of action in them? Yeah, see all the guys raise their hands and then Renee. <laughs> so a lot of action car chases and foot chases and death-defying stunts. I love the Tom Cruise movies because apparently he does his own stunts and you watch him like flying off of the side of an airplane and jumping off of a cliff on a motorcycle and all of that stuff. Um, and in some action movies, people have superpowers, right? So like this guy, Superman, strange visitor from another planet, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful, and so forth and so on. And most of us know Superman. He's been around since the 30s. So most of us know him in some way or another. Um, in other action films, the, the characters don't have superhuman strength, but they uh, have this determination. They want to do what is right. They want to take action against some injustice, or they want to take action to make sure that people are taken care of and protected, and they come in and they save the day. And most of the time, our heroes, if we watch these movies, our heroes actually have to overcome the inaction of other people, people who are supposed to take care of others, people who are supposed to protect others. And they have to overcome this kind of apathy that the supposed helpers are supposed to have. And this morning we're continuing a sermon series that we've called Lessons of the Good Samaritan. And it's been a couple of weeks since we visited the story. So we're going to read through uh, part of the story this morning. It's in uh, the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And what we read is that a lawyer gets up and questions Jesus. He wants to uh, have Jesus answer a question for him. And the question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's an important question. And... We're not sure if the lawyer got up to be kind of like snide and, and, and mean to Jesus or if he really truly wants to know. Jesus, if you know everything, if you're preaching all these things, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds in Luke chapter 10, verse 36. He says to the lawyer, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He's not even just asking, well, what is there? But what's your interpretation? What do you think the law means? What are you supposed to be doing? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And notice all of these things. Love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are all actions. These are all things that we do, right? We're supposed to be the heroes of this story. We're supposed to love God with everything we are, with everything we do. And we're supposed to love our neighbor just as we would love ourselves. And when we love ourselves, don't we take care of ourselves? Don't we act on our own best behalf to make our lives as good as they can be? Love your neighbor as yourself. All of these action words. But the lawyer still doesn't quite get it. The lawyer asks in a desire to justify himself. And who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story. And we met some of the, or all of the players in this story uh, two weeks ago. We met man, we met robbers, we met priest, Levite, Samaritan, and innkeeper. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And Jesus starts to unfold this story. And can you almost see the events unfolding in your mind as he's talking about these things? And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the road that he was on, this road that Jesus is talking about. We talked about how dangerous the road is. But most of us have never been to Jerusalem or Jericho. We've not seen this road. But can we picture another road? Can we picture a time when we've walked down a road and we have felt like we have to look over our shoulders? We feel like this road is kind of dangerous. Maybe something bad might happen. And you might clutch your purse to your side or you might move your wallet from your back pocket to your front pocket and you keep your hand in your pocket and you keep it held there really firm and you take your keys out because you're walking to your car and you grip them really tight. Some of us even will put the keys into such a place where one of the keys is sticking out of our fingers and we walk as quickly as we can to our car and we fumble for the keys and we unlock the door and we get in and we slam the door and the first thing we do is lock the door again and we look around and see what's going on. Have you ever felt that way? This is why Jesus tells this story. There is immediate danger. And many of the people that he's talking to have walked that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They know, they feel it's this visceral, almost physical feeling in the pit of their stomachs, this fear that they can imagine because they have felt that fear themselves. And we read this story, and Jesus says that these robbers stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Thankfully, he was only half dead. He had not been killed. But it's very likely that he may have died had someone not come along to help him. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Picture a priest. Picture this man of God. 
And in those times, the priest was a man of the tribe of Levi who did the work of God in the temple. He performed the sacrifices and he accepted the gifts. He was the most visible person in the temple and arguably one of the most important people in the temple. And the priests knew that just like the people did. I am an important person. And there are rules for priests. These priests were direct descendants of Aaron, who was Moses' brother. And they led the people out of Egypt. And God made Aaron and his sons the priests, the people who would do God's work. And we read some of these rules that the priests have in the Old Testament. And in particular, one thing comes out that is crucial to Jesus' story, and it's something that everyone listening would have known. It's from Leviticus chapter 21 in verses 1 through 3. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron. Say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives. His mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother. Or his virgin sister who is near to him because she had no husband. For her, he may make himself unclean. And this commandment was much, much stricter for the priests than it was for anybody else. God also gave a commandment to all of the people of Israel that described this uncleanness if somebody were to encounter or touch a dead body. And that law said that they would be considered unclean for seven days. And then after seven days, they would do this cleansing ritual and they would become ceremonially clean and they had to bring in uh, offering to the priest and do all of these things, but then they would, they would be okay. They would be clean. They would be able to walk among their people again. Not so for the priests. Only for close relatives could the priest make themselves unclean and go through that ritual. For everybody else, if the priest made themselves unclean because of a dead body, it's very likely they would never be able to be a priest again. In 21st century language, they'd have lost their jobs. Maybe they'd have been canceled. This is what this priest was, was looking at, right? And everybody listening to the story, they would know what Jesus was talking about. They would know this commandment. And when they heard about a priest crossing the road away from somebody who looked dead, they probably understood. They knew this law. They wouldn't be surprised. The priest could no longer be a priest if he touched that dead body. In fact, it probably made sense. Made sense to the priest. Made sense to the people. He needed to stay far away from the body. Even if he accidentally tripped on the road and came in contact with that dead body, he would be unclean. And his priesthood would likely be over. So this is what we're dealing with here. 
And Jesus goes on, he says, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Now, Levites were not priests. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Levites worked in the temple. They were the temple guard, and they were the cleaners of the temple. They were the maintainers of the temple. And they fell under the same law as everybody else. If you touched a dead body, you were unclean for seven days. Then you performed all of the cleansing rituals and the offerings, and you would be restored to your people. But Jesus says that even the Levite walked around the body instead of going to help. Now, granted, the Levite and the priest didn't know if the guy was dead, right? He's left for half dead. He's bloodied. He's stripped naked. He's laying there in the middle of the street, not moving. But with the Levite, his actions are a little more questionable. His actions, or rather his inaction, is a little more problematic. He could have approached man laying there in the street. All he would have to do was be unclean for seven days. And we have to remember Jesus is saying that these guys are leaving Jerusalem. They're going to, Jer to Jericho, probably going home. So whatever they had been doing in Jerusalem in service of the temple, they were finished. And probably for months were they finished with their work. The Levite could certainly have risked a seven-day period to help this person who looked like they were dead, but he didn't. And this is that inaction that we're talking about. We're not, a fear, we're not afraid of losing our job. We're afraid of being inconvenienced. He's been in Jerusalem. He's working. He's going home to his family. Well, I don't want to be unclean for seven days more before I go to my family again. He's worried about being inconvenienced. So why does Jesus include these two characters in his story as opposed to, say, maybe a lawyer? Like the person he was talking to. Or somebody else. Priest and Levite represent the absolute pinnacle of the Jewish society. It wasn't politicians that were the leaders of the Jews. It was the religious people, the priests, the Levites, the scribes, the Pharisees, all of these people who said they were serving God. And they knew that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. But here, they're not keeping that commandment. They had no idea whether this guy was dead or not. They just made the assumption that he was, either because they didn't want to lose their job or because they didn't want to be inconvenienced. And Jesus tells us many times in the Gospels that most of the priests and Levites and scribes and Pharisees, all these religious leaders, made a show 
of loving God. They, they got up in front of people and they prayed great prayers and they wore these phylacteries on their foreheads and on their arms. Phylacteries are these things that God had commanded the priests to wear and they had little pieces of scripture inscribed in them and they would wear them and they would make them bigger and they would make them bigger and they would wear longer tassels on their gowns to show people, I am a priest. I am important. And they wanted everybody to treat them that way. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus pronounces woes upon these religious leaders. He says things like they preach, but do not practice. They shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. They have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. In Micah chapter 6, we read that same list. What does God require? That we love justice and we act mercifully and we walk humbly with our God. Those are the things God wants, not sacrifice, not anything else. Those are what God requires of us. Justice. Mercy, faithfulness. And priest and Levite in this story were so concerned with appearing lawful. They were so concerned with keeping up the appearance that they were important people that could not go near a dead body. They could not help in any way. I'm so sorry. I can't help you. I'm too important to help you. And I wonder... How many times does the church, and I'm talking about the church universal and particularly church in Western civilization, I wonder how often in an attempt to appear holy, God bless you, in an attempt to appear holy, the church has avoided loving their neighbor. How often does that happen? I've told you about uh, a lunch meeting that I had when I uh, first started uh, pastoring the church that I pastored uh, back in 2016. And an elder of the church, like the first week I was there, invited me out to lunch. And I thought, oh, well, this is cool. He wants to get to know me a little bit. This is great. I'll go have lunch with him. And he sat across the table. And five minutes into our lunch, he looks me in the eye and he says, we cannot allow homosexuals into our church. And I asked him why. And he said, because it would set a poor example for our children. I was a little confused by that statement. And I asked him, isn't the church supposed to be a hospital for broken people? For people who are seeking God? In churches across the country, people are invited to stay out. Homosexuals, pregnant teenagers, people who question. They question faith. They question God. Oh, we can't have any questions. You have to believe because we say that you should believe and that's it. Don't ask any questions. And I have known a couple of people 
that have been actually kicked out of church. A friend of mine got kicked out of church because he was at a Bible study and he questioned something that they were talking about. And the next Sunday, a couple of the deacons came up to him and said, I'm sorry, but we don't want you here anymore. But even worse than keeping people out of the church, and that's pretty terrible. The church has been historically known for staying away from people and places because of what they think might happen to their reputation. Well, we can't go to those places. Christians should never go to that place because people will see us and they will think that we're doing those things. And we don't want to be seen that way. We're holy people. Imagine running a church program out of a bar. Imagine running a church program inside a strip club. Todd and Aaron Stevens, they're pastors of Friendship Community Church in Nashville. Their mission statement is we're showing God's love in practical ways with no strings attached. And one time during a 21-day fast, the wife, Aaron, says that God started revealing to her that the homosexual, the Muslim, the stripper, the porn star, the drug addict, the alcoholic, they are not the enemy. They are the mission field. They are who we are called to love. They are not who we are called to boycott. And she felt led, and her husband supported her in this, she felt led to visit a prominent strip club that had been advertising all over Nashville, very popular, crowded all the time. And she felt led to go to the women who were working there. And she brought them food. And she brought them clothing. One of the women is said to have just really confronted this pastor's wife. And said, why are you doing this? Why are you, these clothes are expensive. She would bring them makeup. This makeup is expensive. This food, why are you doing this? And she said, because you're valuable in God's eyes. And that was it. You are valuable in the eyes of the God that I serve. That is why I am giving you food and clothing and makeup and baby stuff, all of these things that she would bring to these women. And the very next Sunday, that woman showed up at Friendship Community Church. And not too long after, gave her life to Jesus Christ. And she stopped working at the club. And she started ministering with the pastor's wife. And then soon, there were two more that were coming and they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And then three more that were coming. And people kept saying, it doesn't make sense. Why are you doing this? And the church could point to these women who had given their lives over to God and say, this is why. All too often, 
Churches look at people. And I know some of you are thinking, well, those places are offensive. I know for a long time when I used to drive up through Harrisburg, there's those big Savannah's signs. And it's like, why, why, why do they have to have those big signs there? That's offensive. We certainly wouldn't be caught dead going into a bar or going into a club like that. Most of the time, churches will say, if those kind of people want to learn about God, they'll come to church. It's what they say. I've heard them say it. But I've got news for you. They're not coming to church. A lot of them have been in church. Some of them are those pregnant teenagers that the church kicked out. And they had no place else to go and nothing else they were trained to do. They worked as a barmaid. They worked as a stripper. They worked as whatever they could get to make money for their child. They're not coming back to church because the church never showed them that they were valuable in the eyes of God. We have to be willing to leave this building. We have to be willing to walk into the places where broken people are. It's not enough just to invite somebody to come to church on a Sunday morning. And if you do that, that's great. I love it. Some people will react to an invitation to come to church. Some of them would like to spit in your face for inviting them to come to church because the church has hurt them so badly. We've got to be willing to get up and go to the places where these broken people are, just like Jesus did. Jesus ate with tax collectors. He ate with sinners. He went to where they were. He didn't invite them to synagogue. He went to them, and he preached the gospel. He preached forgiveness. He preached repentance. But most of all, he cared for their needs. And that's what we are called to do. Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations. And did you know that the word nations really simply means people groups that are foreign to you? A lot of us, there are a lot of people groups that are foreign to us. Drug users, bikers, accountants, all kinds of people that are different than we are. And we don't want to go. We don't want to minister to them. And yes, accountants need love too. We don't want to go and minister to them because it's uncomfortable. Or we don't want to be inconvenienced. Many times we'll say, I'll write a check to Paxton Street Ministries, but I don't want to go to Paxton Street Ministries and get in that van on a Saturday night and take food around to the homeless and take clothing and blankets around to the homeless. I don't want to see that. I don't want to do that. It's too dangerous. That's what we do. It's what we've become comfortable with. 
we have to start getting up and going to these places. We have to start taking care of our neighbors with no strings attached. All too often we see people who are doing things that offend our Christian sensibilities, that offend us as Christians because we know that they're sin. We know they're sin. And our first reaction is the same as that of the priest and the Levite. We're going to walk around those people. I'm not going to make eye contact with them. I'm not going to come into contact with them. I'm certainly not going to go have lunch with them. Jesus calls us to go and make disciples. Jesus calls us to go and love our neighbors. Jesus calls us to action. Priest and Levite did not see man as a human being in need of help. Priest saw him as somebody who could, he could lose his job over. Levite saw him as somebody who would keep him from Sunday dinner. They did not see the humanity of a man laying half dead in the street. We have to see the humanity. We have to understand that when we read God created man and woman, He created them in His own image. And every single one of us bears the image of God. And God wants those people back. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. That's what Jesus said to the religious people. And it's what he says to us when we refuse to see human beings as worthy of the love of God, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, worthy of saving. And we forget where Jesus found us. We forget the sin that Jesus rescued us from. God doesn't want anybody going to hell. And I hear this all the time from atheists, from non-Christians. Well, God just sends everybody to hell. No, he doesn't. We're already on our way there. God pulls us back. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Death is not what God wants for any of his creation. He wants them to repent. He wants them to come back to him. He wants them to live with him forever. And it's not just people who are like us. He wants the people we're offended by. Does that scare us? 
Does it scare us to go and minister to people because we're worried about our reputation? We're worried about our jobs. We're worried about getting home for dinner. Walking in Harrisburg last night, got out of my car. Right as soon as I got out of my car, this guy comes up to me and he says, uh, hey, mister, how you doing? If you've ever been in Harrisburg, hey, mister, how you doing? You know what's coming next. Hey, mister, how you doing? Um, I'm trying to get a couple of dollars to, 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 to get something to eat. And at first, I blew him off. I'm sorry, I can't help you right now. And I walked down the street. I was halfway down the street. And God said, you're going to talk about this tomorrow? Really? I turned back around, gave the guy the money that was in my wallet. It was only a few bucks. And we look at those people and we say, well, they're just going to drink with it. They're going to get drugs with it. They're going to, who cares? Our call is to help them. Our call is to listen for God's voice. And God's voice was telling me, you better give that guy some money. And it was especially helpful to hear God's voice then because I knew that God hadn't given up on me from the time when I was walking in Philadelphia and somebody asked me for money and I said no, even though I had money in my pocket and even though I heard God's voice telling me, give him $10. And I said no. I was so thankful to hear God's voice again telling me, give that guy some money. Because I knew God hadn't given up on me. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves, even the ones that we think are unlovable. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, no matter the cost. It's time for us to point them back to the Father. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for today. We're thankful that this is the day that you have made and we rejoice. We give thanks. We worship you. Father, give us a spirit of worship that doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. Let us love you with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength all the time. And Father, teach us to love our neighbors. Teach us to love those who you have created, who you would see, repent, and return to you. And Father, help us to not worry about the inconvenience. Help us to not worry about what happens to us. Let 
Your Son told us that we're to take up our cross and follow Him, even if it means death. We should love our neighbors, even to the point of death. Open our hearts. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Show us the need. Help us to be bold in meeting those needs and leading people to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to celebrate communion. As we think about what Jesus did, let us not just think about what he did for me, what he did for you as individuals. Picture Jesus carrying his cross, dying on it, being bled, being beaten, because he wants all of humanity. He desires that people will repent of their sin and return to the Father. The Bible tells us to take communion in a way that's appropriate. What that means is that we too should confess our sins we should pray to the Father that anything that we have done that is not pleasing in His eyes, that He will forgive us, that we will repent of those things, and that we will make them right as much as we can. So this morning, as we get ready to celebrate communion, I'm going to give you a few moments to reflect and to pray ask God for forgiveness for those things that you need forgiveness for. And I also want you to pray for your neighbor. Pray for somebody that you have never thought to pray for before. Someone who does not know the Father. Someone that needs Jesus Christ. I'll give you a few moments. The deacons are going to come forward at this time to serve communion. We'll give them a minute to get into place. Uh, if you are in need of prayer or desire for prayer for anything, physical, spiritual, uh, we've got uh, one of our deacons, Tim, will be over here uh, available to pray with you. I'll be over here on this side available to pray with you. As you are ready, please come forward and receive the bread and the cup. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he passed it around to those who were dining with him and said, Take and eat. This is my body 
was broken for you. Jesus was showing his love for the Father with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. And he was showing us love, that he would be broken, that he would be beaten, so that we might come back to the Father, body of Jesus Christ. Jesus also took a cup of wine, and he blessed it, and he passed it around to his disciples, and he said, drink this, all of you. This wine is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant means that we might see our sins forgiven when we repent and confess those sins to God. Jesus spilled his blood for every human being on earth. And he promises forgiveness and eternal life to all those who will repent, confess their sins, and make him their Lord and their Savior. The blood of Jesus Christ. Many times we forget where we came from. If we're young people, we've grown up in the church, we've always known who Jesus was. Some of us who are older, maybe not so much. But it is never too late for someone to know Jesus Christ. It is never too late for someone to see their lives, to know that they are in need of a savior and to repent. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save what is lost. Even Jesus is doing action. He is seeking those who would be saved. And he says that the angels rejoice for one soul who has been saved. Go, make disciples of all people, even the ones you don't like. God bless you this week.